and good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith with episode 31. But I wanted to take a look at uh, the phenomenon that was The Office. I noticed a pattern starting with The Office, uh, starting in its second season, that the moment The Office knew it was cool, it started going off the rails and heading toward mediocrity. And the problem with that is, is that I think there was a conscious effort to do it. There's a reason why The Office resonates with so many people. And, and it's not just because of some great characters and, and originally in, in the first several seasons, some absolutely phenomenal writing, which I'm going to pin much of that on Larry Wilmore, who I just think is a genius. And um, I would be remiss without mentioning, of course, Office Space. And there's, again, a reason why that movie still resonates with people, because if you're listening now and and you've worked an office job and you've had that asshole boss or that douchebag workmate, you get it. And that's the whole point of The Office and why a film like Office Space connected with people. We get it. it. It worked and it connected with the average person out there. And that's a big, big difference from other films. Look, I've always said one of the hardest things to do in film, on television, whatever, is to just play normal. It's really tough to do that. And if you want to see a really bad example of that, uh, watch the Bruce Willis, Michelle Pfeiffer film called The Story of Us. I I, I don't know. All I can tell you is is that it didn't ring true and, and it was so fake and so false and written by people, and acted by people, and directed by people that just don't remember or get what it was like just to be normal. It's easy to go out there and, and play an over-the-top character, a supervillain, I mean, you know, to be Palpatine or or you know, wildly drunk or whatever. It it is far easier to do that than just to deliver simplicity and honesty. And I think The Office, in its first several seasons, connected with its base, with its audience. Now, I was introduced to The Office uh, by its, I think, second episode. Uh, Somewhere there was the healthcare episode where Dwight, uh, Rain Wilson's Dwight, was put in charge by Steve Carell uh, to, to pick a healthcare plan for The Office. And of course, you know, a topic that means a lot to people across the nation in the United States. It's it's a very important topic, healthcare. So I was introduced to it by my ex-wife who said, listen, there, there's this pretty cool show that I caught uh, an episode of that NBC is running. You should take a look. And what did it for me, I, I mean, I was hooked within the first five minutes of the episode. That simple scene when Dwight thinks that Jim or Pam or both have created fake diseases and the one disease was Count Choculitis. And Dwight says something like, is it because you know I love Count Chocula, Jim? And Jim just replies simply, do you? It was that kind of exchange, that simplicity, that small kind of stuff that hooked me to the office and I loved it. And I was a fan ever since uh, the Christmas episode. And let me tell you that the standout moment of the first Christmas episode of The Office in the first season was when Steve Carell's Michael Scott opens up Phyllis's gift and it's an oven mitt. And it's just his reaction and what he mutters. It is so real and so shallow. It's perfect. 
I was a fan of The Office, especially its first three seasons. I loved it. Again, we have to do these disclaimers because you have these fans out there that just don't listen. And they think right away, you're hating on The Office. You're just jealous. All those stupid remarks to shut down a conversation where somebody doesn't agree with you. I'm simply putting out there that The Office started fantastic and, in my opinion, was basically unwatchable by the final episode of the series. It really was. And I'm going to to support that. And the number one thing I think that they did is they blew up their characters. They took these great characters and one by one, they started running these characters into the ground and turning them from characters to caricatures. For me, this whole episode starts with Larry Wilmore. Uh, former writer for The Daily Show and a, and a fantastic writer. And, and I, I just love him. And he was a driving creative force uh, around 2005 to 2007 uh, on the show uh, between producing and writing for a, a creative producer. And, and Wilmore is responsible for what I feel were one of the most valuable assets to the show in, in its beginning seasons. And that was the practice of awkward silences and pauses when Michael Scott would say something so patently stupid or offensive there wasn't always a snappy comeback they allowed a silent kind of processing of of what they just heard and it made things really awkward and and to give you I mean watch season one and you'll see what I mean that's when Michael had his slick back hair and was kind of doughy and, and he was pretty much unlikable. Uh, there was very little about Michael Scott in the first season that, that made you root for him or like him or even try to forgive him for, for, his, for his trespasses. I mean, he's just really an awful human being for the most part. And that's Wilmore, I believe. Uh, they, they made Michael that guy that... One thing the office can agree on, aside from the fact that they probably have some of the most boring jobs on the planet, is that they all really just don't like Michael. Michael is that galvanizing force. And and he said that. Michael even referred to that in later episodes when he said that nothing united the kids in school like the lunch lady, the hatred for the lunch lady. Well, Michael unwittingly is the lunch lady of of the office. And uh, it was Wilmore... Who, who allowed these awkward silences and, and weird looks to each other like, did I just hear what I think I heard come out of his mouth? Watch the first season and see that. Look, for example, when, when Meredith's birthday, when Michael's trying to, to you know, rally the troops because of downsizing and he declares Meredith's birthday, even though it's like a month early, and him reading his absolutely awful comments on her card and how they react. A lesser show would have thrown back snappy comebacks, you know, that that big bang kind of repartee back and forth. And instead, it's just allowed to be quiet because that's what we would do. We would really stand around and go, "I, I can't believe this guy is just such an idiot. And that's what made this show special. It allowed these quiet, detailed moments. When when Dwight is sitting in the diversity day and, and uh, Larry Wilmore, who's playing Mr. Brown and who was perfect as that, and watch 
Wilmore's delivery to Michael because he's hiding his absolute distaste and contempt for Michael because Michael is the whole reason why he's there. But watch Kelly's face when Dwight talks about who he's sexually attracted to, if they can talk about races, and he says Indian. And again, a lesser director, lesser writer, a lesser team would have had Kelly say something. Instead, just look at Mindy Kaling's perfect response with her eyes. These are the moments that made the show break out. Now, I know everybody's going to say, no, it was 40-year-old virgin. And because that became a hit, the show blew up. And you know what? That may be. Uh, it is It is well known that the show was plucked uh, from cancellation a number of times and really did have to struggle at first to find an audience. But boy, when it did, there were still moments where that show shined. But then something happened. The office soon realized it was cool. Everything is subjective, but I'm going to say that the best seasons of, of NBC's The Office were arguably seasons one through four. After that, the decline really started, and, and I'm going to support that with, with what's coming up. And really, my opinion is the show should have ended, it should have ended earlier, but it should have ended when Steve Carell left the show, because after that, it just became a mess. My opinion is, is, is that the show went from a hard-to-pull-off, real-tone kind of show to basically a comic strip. It became the bad version of what The Office could have been. I feel the show accomplished this, this dumbing down uh, through, like I said, the deconstruction of its own major characters. And the first one you have to look at, because I feel the whole show is about him, is Michael Scott, played by Steve Carell. Look at how the show started from the very first pilot and the introduction of, of Michael sitting smugly at his desk, pontificating to Jim and, and deliberately staging something to make it look like Jim has come for, for advice from Michael, like he's some wise man. And that tells us everything, really, we need to know about Michael. And, and he started out as, as this asshole boss that almost all of us have had. I think almost everybody could relate. But then they realized when the show started to move in a in a different direction and of course the influence of the 40-year-old virgin there was an effort to to soften Michael up and uh you know to make him more appealing. And one of the things that they did is obviously Steve Carell got into shape. Uh look at Steve Carell's face uh from the first season and those first I think 5 episodes all the way through Hot Girl. Uh, to the second season with the Dundies opener, and we have a very different Michael Scott. In addition to that, there was there was some kind of, of hair thing going on. It's very clear from shots both in the front and back of Steve Carell, uh, either uh, a hair weave, uh, some type of, of stitching, or actual hair transplant or plugs was, was given to Carell. He got them because Michael suddenly has a very full head of hair and his bald spot is gone. And if you don't believe me, in the Hot Girl episode, the camera catches Carell from the back where he has Ryan helping him clean out the Sebring to give Amy Adams a ride home. And you very clearly see a bald spot. And they also made his hair wet all the time, like slicked him. You, you can see that the hair was thinning and pulling away uh, from from his forehead and, and such, you know, and, and again, not a big deal. I don't really care about that. I'm just pointing out that the image of Michael was was changing. The good news about all of this is 
is that there were still a lot of awkward moments with Michael and a lot of stupid moments. So there was a lot of that. Now, it went from less cruel Michael to more doofus Michael. That is also another thing. Michael is actually pretty cruel in, in the first season. I mean, look at how he handled, you know, Meredith from just simply that she's lactose intolerant and still ordering a dairy ice cream cake because he doesn't really care. And then rubbing her face in it, basically, about her lactose intolerance at the party. Michael making people cry. Look what he did to Pam uh, when he tries to show off in front of Ryan and making her cry, thinking that she was fired. Uh, He's cruel at times and, and not maybe even deliberately cruel. But what he does is pretty mean-spirited. And that kind of all went away. Again, not a major problem because maybe you know NBC realized we've got to make this guy a little bit more likable. It, he was very likable in 40-year-old Virgin. And maybe we need to soften him up a little bit so we don't start turning people off. I'm, I'm sure there was a science to it somewhere along the line. But the first casualty of the character blow-ups was Jan, played by Melora Hardin. So let's look at her because she's the first one to truly be blown up. I absolutely loved Jan Levinson Gould. Melora Hardin was perfect casting for this role. Her introduction to this show set the tone for everything. Yes, they they portray her as as the the cold, you know, ice queen. Um, In fact, Todd Packer, when he calls in in the first episode, calls her Godzillary, which is just fantastic. And her silent burn, she was so good at that Oliver Hardy silent burn as she suffered Michael so much. Her looks to the camera, her deadpan flat, can you believe he just said that look? It was incredible acting. And that's because she was given the direction of restraint. Less was so much more with Jan Levinson. And she was fantastic. From the way she handled, for example, when Michael on Valentine's Day goes in to New York and tells you know everybody at that meeting that he slept with Jan. And, and her reaction in her office, we can feel her like, my God, I'm suffering such a fool here. It's just terrific. But then they started to do something to Jan. And that is they they, they brought her into this relationship with Michael. Okay, I I like the one night hookup thing because that scene where Michael so impresses her and she's at a vulnerable point in her life and she's at a weak moment and she got to see a side of Michael that she probably never knew existed. And that was when Michael was selling the guy locally to get their business at the Chili's. And she just gets this small smile on her face as she sees that Michael is masterfully going to close this deal. And suddenly it's, it's so obvious she is extremely attracted to him. Look, that's real. How many of you listening right now are the recipient or instigator of an office hookup. And it was one of those heat of the moment. And and you look back now and go, what was I thinking? And most of all, you know, the old expression about you don't shit where you eat. Office romances usually do not turn out well. Jan even acknowledges that this was all a mistake and it was a one-time thing, but they ran with it and they ruined it. They, they, 
beat it into the ground. And there were if these were two people that should have never been together, it's it's Michael and Jan. And and we know this. And yet they forced them together. And I get it. Michael's desperate and he really wants a girlfriend and he doesn't want to be alone and he wants kids. But pitting him with Jan was just a mess. And and look, by the time we get to the infamous, you know, Virginia Wolf dinner party where Michael is now living with Jan, she's been fired. Uh, Ryan gets her job. I, I mean, we're already in the midst of a number of characters starting to be blown up. And they, in my opinion, they ran Jan into the ground and just made her a silly caricature of a terrific character that started out this show. I loved Jan as a strong and competent and not insane drunk. And they just ruined her. Look, that scene where she walks down into the warehouse on women's appreciation and she delivers the notice to the warehouse workers that there will be no unionizing, it is fantastic. It is a top-end piece of writing and she, Melora Hardin, delivers it with with perfect delivery. I, I just, I love that scene. She totally destroys every aspiration of a union and even takes on the mighty Daryl Philbin in that warehouse. And she wasn't afraid to go down in there and get her hands dirty and get that job done. That is the Jan that I liked. Look at the Jan that turns into, for example, the baby shower episode where she's some quasi Zen ridiculous in the midst of a breakdown hippie singing songs on the floor of the conference room and yet somehow is competent enough to be holding some job somewhere as I forget what she's doing. That's what I mean. I started tuning out by that point when she would pop up here and there. And then for some inexplicable reason during that episode tells Michael not to date Holly, but they never do anything with it again. So the first casualty in in blowing up these characters, which will take the office off the rails, is the blowing up of Jan Levinson. And that's a shame. I know people really give a lot of props uh, to the dinner party, and and it really is a, a nice update and take on on who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, uh, but it, it just really shows at that point how far off the mark we've gone. We're in the middle by that point of of the Andy Angelo relationship was which was just ridiculous, and and I did like that Dwight and Angela hooked up. I, I believed in that, and I'll get into that in a little bit. We were in the midst of a lot of nonsense and stupidity. The low-hanging fruit in the office uh, are Jim and Pam. And we we went from, you know, these fun people with the whole will they, won't they. And and that was really genuine. We, we often got Jim's frustration and even Pam's sadness, you know, being betrothed to Roy. Uh, with We really wanted to see them get together. But did we? I mean, once they got together... I don't know about you, man, but holy cow, did they become annoying. And and they even acknowledged that by the time that even um, Will Farrell came along after Steve Carell left, where Will Farrell found them obnoxious when he said something like, look, I see what you're doing here when they're sliding their obnoxious baby pictures in from the lookout and giving them baby updates. And, and maybe that was by design. But my question is, why? And Rashida Jones said it uh, with, with one of the episodes when she looked at the camera and she said, Pam is kind of a bitch. And, you know, even in the early episodes, Pam was. There are moments where 
if I were Jim, I would have just told Pam to, to screw off and, and not waste my time with her anymore. There were moments where Pam could have easily said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to pursue this. And she was outright nasty to Jim. Uh, one of them was the whole thing is uh, swaying isn't dancing. You know, what counts as a date and what doesn't in one of the uh, earlier seasons and really hurt Jim. And and other moments as well, too, when, uh, you know, the, the whole thing of, of getting engaged on the boat, engaged once again when Roy sets a date after just talking out there with Jim where there was that moment where is she going to admit she doesn't love Roy? And we get it. There is that moment when Pam comes out of her shell at the beach. And that's a good moment when Pam becomes very honest and she becomes a whole different Pam. She's the butterfly emerging from the cocoon. I get all that character development. But then in the later episodes, uh, after Michael left, which I want to pause here for a second to say that I think that was Jenna Fisher's shining moment, was her simple goodbye to Michael. It was so great. And that is where the show should have ended because it kind of really starts with Michael and Pam and it ended with Michael and Pam. And so after that, it just became an annoyance. I mean, the whole thing with Pam becoming an office manager and and the, and the fight with Dwight on, on you know, whether, uh, you know, they should move the office and, and all this other stuff, this backdoor dealing. I mean, it was even going to pieces when she up and left Dunder Mifflin to go work for the Michael Scott Paper Company. I get it. She's always been Michael's foil. And she's always been there. Michael was the one who came to her art show. And and I get all of that. Michael also tried to kiss her out of desperation. And she still tolerated it. And he's the one who took her with him on tour when they went to Nashua. And she helped him through with Holly with, with taking the letter off her desktop. But then we turn this into the Pam and Jim show, which is kind of like what that 70s show did when that went off the rails and it just became the Donna and Eric show. And that's what The Office devolved into as well, too. The, Pam and Jim became the nucleus and that was the problem. And then we got into that, that really odd thing, like where did Timothy Oliphant fit in? with his whole Danny Cordray thing. Like it seemed like somebody said, we're going to run with this for a while and oh, that's not going to work out or, or Tim got another gig somewhere else and he's not going to stay on the show, but that went nowhere. Uh, you know, he was, was he going to be another threat to Jim and Pam? And then we had the, uh, the office assistant, the attractive girl, uh, that she came in and, and then that went nowhere. She, she found Jim cute and, you know, it, it was just all of this nonsense is really what it was. And, and it just turned into a mess. And then, of course, by the final episode where, you know, Dwight fires Pam and Jim. And look, if you're going, oh, spoiler alert, I'm spoiling nothing. The show was spoiled, trust me, all the way up to that point. So there are no spoilers. Go out and watch it. You'll see what I mean. And, and just to be fair, when, it, when it's been running on Netflix... I did go back and try to get through all the episodes again, here and there, putting them on for background noise and such, uh, watching them after Michael left. And, and I'm telling you, what, what a mess. And look what they did to Jim. I mean, they just kind of blew him up as well, but he's not as much of a casualty as the other characters. But even Jim became really kind of obnoxious uh, toward the end, especially with his nose up Pam's ass. And uh, it, it, again, uh, the show should have ended after Michael left. And I will say that Michael's 
final words with Jim were just terrific when Jim realized Michael's leaving and he's not going to be in the office the next day. It was a terrific moment because Jim always served as Michael's sounding board. Jim was the one who kind of shaped Michael and helped him with Holly and and let him know when he was being socially awful and, and inappropriate. And that was eventually lost with the whole co-manager thing. And, and then, of course, Ryan and Dwight for a brief few episodes teaming up to derail Jim. And we're going to get to Ryan in a moment because they, they not only blew up Ryan, they nuked Ryan. Rain Wilson's portrayal of, of Dwight K. Schrute was, was phenomenal. And, and oddly enough, uh, he was considered for the Michael Scott role in the beginning. So I'm so glad things worked out the way they did. I, I, I just can't see him as, as Michael Scott. And he is perfect as the office dick. We Everybody who's worked in an office or an administrative position where you have other people around you, there's always that guy. And it can be that woman as well too. But for Dwight, it just works that it's a guy. He, he is just so, he's the office know-it-all. He's, uh, you know, he sometimes wavers between a very liberal mindset and an ultra right-wing conservative mindset. And as Michael calls him, he's often an idiot. So we, we have this great character. And the best part is, is they knew how to use him. He was Jim's nemesis and vice versa. And I loved the relationship, the back and forth with Jim and Dwight. It was wonderful. And even the play back and forth with Michael and Dwight. But the real uh-oh moment for me came was when the episode uh, popped in with Dwight trying to betray Michael by going to Jan behind Michael's back and this whole coup d'etat in the office where, you know, Angela was almost like a Lady Macbeth kind of character. And we'll get into their relationship momentarily. We go from a character that is real and truly obnoxious and and often very, very funny with his point of view and his exuberance for life, a volunteer sheriff's deputy and all of that stuff, to really starting to turn into a, a cartoon character pretty fast. Uh, we'll get into the Angela and, and Dwight dating thing in a moment. But really what it comes down to is by the, I, I forget what episode, what season it was. It might have been season six. Uh, you know, Dwight brings a gun into the office and it fires and, and it blows a hole through the floor. And not only would he have been fired, he, there would have been criminal charges pressed against him, if not some type of civil charge pressed against him by somebody in the office. And everybody just went, well, that's Dwight. He brought a gun into the office. And 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 then we went to the farm. And thank God, cooler heads prevailed and did not give us a sitcom spinoff on the farm. Because if you saw that episode, they incorporated it into the office where we got to go see Dwight and his family and all of that stuff. And it was just everything that that should not be. It was not funny. And you can see why they decided not to spin it off. But by that point, they had totally blown up Dwight. And he was no longer the guy in the opening. And, and they couldn't decide, is he some kind of, you know, Rube beat farmer kind of guy? Or is he some type of, you know, professional that actually is a pretty good salesman? And we, we never understand exactly why Dwight is a top salesman. We know he's forceful. We know he knows his product, but he is also a turnoff. And so there, there were certain things we took for granted with Dwight and we were happy to, but I, I could never swallow the whole survivalist Dwight thing 
and the whole farm thing, which it just never fit in. Also, the other thing that worked against them, and this really doesn't have much to do with blowing up the office. However, the the geography of of the area around Shroot Farms never worked because it's very clearly California. Those are not Pennsylvania Hills or anything like that. So for me, it always took me out of it, being from Pennsylvania and having been to Scranton many, many times. Uh, that That is clearly not Scranton on those episodes. Ryan was terrific. He was kind of our viewpoint, our outsider into the bedlam that is Dunder Mifflin in in Michael Scott's office. And there were so many great, awkward moments with Ryan, especially in the interviews uh, when uh, there was a great reaction when Angela and Dwight were fighting over uh, the the cake for Michael's birthday, and of course we now we now know that Angela and Dwight are dating, and the camera crew knows that. But the office itself is kind of getting that feeling. But Ryan was witness to an argument between Angela and Dwight on who gives the cake to Michael, and the reaction of B.J. Novak in the interview, and he's just like staring, like, "What the hell did I just witness?" That was when Ryan was at his prime. And then they moved Ryan into the whole dating Kelly thing. And and I get that. It's one of the more inexplicable hookups. And, and it kind of turned into a nightmare for Ryan. But he kept going back. And I don't know if it was because she was an easy lay. Uh, but then we also have the man crush of, of Michael for Ryan. And, and that was great. A lot of awkward moments there. You know how we know that, that Michael is not gay. And that he's man crushing on Ryan because Ryan is the guy that Michael always saw himself as being and wanted to be. And so we get all of that. And it really helps flesh out Michael and gives us even a little uh, sympathy for Michael. Ryan unwittingly allows that. But Ryan is our eyes to a whole different world. And even the the, the great part with uh, business school, when Ryan goes to business school and trash talks Dunder Mifflin and basically dooms it to his business school class and Michael's reaction by banishing him to the annex. And then we even have a great spillover to another character that I'll be getting into that they totally blew up, and that is Toby. When Toby comes back with acknowledging that banishing Ryan back there with him and Kelly If Michael did that deliberately to punish Toby, it's genius. Those are terrific moments in writing and exposition in the earlier seasons of The Office. And they even did something cool with Ryan. They moved him away from a temp, and he surprisingly was the candidate of choice to become the VP of operations at Dunder Mifflin Corporate. That was a great scene when he accepts the position from David Wallace and he Kelly is behind him and he just says, we're through. And she goes, what? And he looks at the camera. That is quintessential Ryan Howard. And it was beautiful. It was one of those surprise moments, not too off the rails. I could kind of buy it. He's a business school graduate. He's obviously very intelligent. He's ambitious. I could totally see David Wallace hiring this guy, this dark horse who came out of nowhere. And then they blew him up. And at first they kind of painted that. They quickly turn him into a coke fiend. And Ryan then, of course, gets fired for embezzling company funds and defrauding the shareholders, as Oscar points out. And he goes to jail. Maybe that should have been the end of Ryan's character arc. But they brought him back. And that completes his self-destruction. The writers 
destroyed him. And I don't know why they're doing this to this show. And they blew him up and they bring him back and he's another temp. There's no way this would happen. He committed corporate fraud. How he avoided the charges, I don't know. I'm sure they gave some explanation, but I'm sitting there going, why would this happen? And no way would Michael be allowed to bring him back as a temp for Pam while she's in New York. David Wallace would have drawn the line and said to Michael, you know, this shows absolute incompetency by hiring a criminal who defrauded the company. You're fired as well too, but it didn't happen. There was nothing for Ryan Howard to do. And they they kind of made him go through all these different chameleon-like identities. He's a prep. And then he's kind of a weirdo photographer. And then he's trying to, to create a website uh, for sale that he, he brings people in to invest in with this uh, social media thing called Woof. And, and what a mess. Like, what the hell do you do with Ryan anymore? He was just kind of there riding out a contract is what it seemed. And BJ Novak, who is a brilliant writer and a gifted actor, uh, he should have really known better. I mean, somebody should have pulled the plug on Ryan Howard after he was arrested and taken out of the show. Yeah, maybe he could have come back to visit kind of thing, but none of it works. And it's totally 100% removed from the very hard reality that these writers and producers and showrunners work so hard to establish in the first several episodes of this series. We had already gone through a number of different managers, and then they also, just so you know, let's just backtrack for one quick second, they blew up David Wallace as well too. He went from this cool corporate executive kind of guy who I think his shining moment was in the deposition when... He admits to Michael, you know, you're, you are a good guy that, you know, the things that I said, it, it was business. It wasn't personal, which I really like David Wallace. And then they turned him into a mess after uh, he was fired and acts from the company. Uh, he kind of goes into a downspin. He creates basically a giant shop vac that inexplicably the military picks up this suck it thing and he becomes a multi multi-millionaire and then what does he do he comes back and buys back dunder mifflin a failing paper company and then you know keeps andy in charge of it oh my god where is this thing going And let's look at Toby and how he was blown up. We never understood 100% why Michael hated Toby. Michael always alluded to HR. HR is a breeding ground for monsters. And we do even get the feeling that even up at corporate, David Wallace and all them, they don't care for their HR guy, Kendall, either. So there's something about HR. But Toby was always this quiet, nice guy who, no matter how awful Michael treated him, Toby was always nice and fair and even helpful and supportive of Michael. And so there was always this kind of yin and yang thing going on. And yet at the same time, we kind of got why Michael didn't care for Toby because Toby was a little annoying. Jim says that in a later episode that Toby can be a little too much. And you know, we saw Toby react in the deposition where he couldn't wait to read Michael's journal and, and he asked for extra copies of it. And, and Toby, you know, of course, with the uh, falling in the pond thing, he always delighted in some of Michael's mishaps and accidents. But then they blew Toby up. 
And they did the whole thing that, again, we have to have this incestuous, everybody must date somebody in the office thing. And Toby had this inexplicable, out-of-the-blue crush on Pam. The moment that he finds out that Pam is single, which I don't see how that could have been a secret because she called off the wedding and everybody knew that she was marrying Roy. And Toby is the one that says, you know, office romances are never a good thing. Inexplicably, Toby develops this crush on Pam. And that is the whole low-hanging fruit of the office thing. Find the woman that is single and pair up a male character with her just for the sake of another stupid relationship storyline, which went nowhere. It culminates with Toby putting his hand on Pam's leg and announcing then after he realizes he's outed with his crush that he's going to move to Costa Rica? Okay, I guess... I don't know what was going on with Paul Lieberstein in his career that he had to leave. Uh, I, I, I don't know. But then he leaves for a while, which paves the way for Holly. But this thing totally blew up and they destroyed Toby and they made him really obnoxious. He was, you know, going behind Jim's back and plotting with Ryan and trying to subvert the whole Pam and Jim thing when they became an official couple. What a mess. Again, going off the rails, blowing up these great characters. So there was this thing that they started with The Office, and that is everybody seems compelled to have to date someone from The Office. Whatever female is available, they they tried to pair her up with someone. So Pam was taken. We know that. But let's go with Angela for a moment. So Dwight and Angela hook up, and that's kind of cool. That was a funny reveal because she's very much like Dwight in the way of of that right-wing, conservative, kind of uh, tight-ass attitude. So, yeah, I could see these two hooking up, and it worked. But then they brought in Andy Bernard, and there lies the problem. It started to go really off the rails. And and so we're going to look at Angela, who, by the end, they, they really ruined her as well, too. I love that Angela is the fly in everybody's ointment person in the office. She's the Debbie Downer, the naysayer, and probably even the tattletale. Uh, She throws Pam under the bus every chance that she can get. She has contempt for Oscar. She hates Meredith. She hates Kelly. She hates everyone. And we all know an Angela like that. But we have to go to Andy first before we get to the eventual senator thing and, and where it just blew up to the point where we go all the way full circle to where Dwight and Angela get married and, and conclude the series, which I think they could have done a far better job with concluding that series, but we'll be getting there as well because by that point, most of America, I think, and it, other than the diehard fans, had already started dropping the show. And believe me, I knew of diehard Office fans that said they gave up not long after Will Farrell came to the table. Before we circle back to Angela, let's look at Andy Bernard, Ed Helms' as Andy Bernard. Uh, he started out great in Stanford. He was that really odd guy in the office, the dork who doesn't know he's a dork and thinks he's a ladies' man. And then they painted the background, of course, that he's this you know rich boy, a trust fund boy, whatever that was, and has to drop. He's a name dropper with Cornell. He comes across instantly as unlikable. And then eventually they paint possibly unhinged. And all of that works. It was terrific. And then the problem was they transferred him to the office in Scranton. And at first it's great. He becomes uh, kind of like the other Dwight. I'm going to call him Mecca Dwight. Uh, 
And 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 it worked there for a little bit with them bucking for Michael's favor and and Andy, you know, subverting Dwight because we do have that kind of office intrigue. But then again, they blew up Andy and they spun it off the rails. And that is Andy's search for a woman because we already have Michael's search for a woman and we've seen all of that. And so now we have to deal with Andy's mess and and his desire for a woman. And they started him out as a real dick, but then they realize they got to kind of soften him up too. And the reason why is I think all the way back then, they were grooming Ed Helms to take the place of Steve Carell, whose career was already blowing up and getting bigger. And, and everybody knew it's just a matter of time before Steve decides not to renew his contract and not return to the office. So we have to have this hookup thing. Now, Pam, again, as I said, is taken. Meredith, nobody's interested in in that way. And they've gone through a very good job of that. So it leaves Angela. Angela is the kind of person that would find Andy absolutely unsavory and obnoxious and would never go for somebody like Andy. But for the convenience and the cynicism of pairing these people up, they put Andy and Angela together, even though they are really two magnets just constantly pushing people apart. And all this does is then it creates a love triangle where eventually Dwight will get back into the picture and they have this whole ridiculous subplot of Dwight and Angela hooking up behind Andy's back. And, and it just becomes cartoon is what it becomes. And it is now by this point become so far removed from the brilliant writing and the awkward pauses and silent moments of real characters. It's starting to become, in fact, it has become by this point, really unrelatable to the average person. And that's when you started reading stories of ratings dips because a lot of people are just going, this is just becoming stupid. And then we we go into this whole dueling thing with Dwight and Andy after the affair is exposed and and Angela like accepting that you know whoever wins the duel she she will go with this is like lowest common denominator writing this is again how the office could have been if it started badly it is so far removed from from reality it's ridiculous and most of all no office manager even an incompetent one like Michael Scott would be allowed to see this kind of thing happen. And don't even get me started on sexual harassment and and all the other things that could be done in a real situation. I know that, yes, they had a sexual harassment episode, but again, doesn't apply to this at all. By this point, the show was already going off the rails and we've already had enough characters self-destructed by this point. And then we have this whole, uh, when Dwight becomes a manager or, or the building property owner of, of uh, Dunder Mifflin's building, uh, th- this is ridiculous. And he creates a hay day, the hay festival outside. Like, why would this be allowed? And why would corporate, if they knew something like this was going on, why would they even allow this? It interferes with business. It creates a problem. It's ridiculous. And it's just so over the top. It just doesn't work anymore. And this is when everybody has pretty much become a caricature. And Angela meets some guy that is revealed to be a senator and he takes interest in her. And we find out that this senator is gay 
and uh, Angela is going to be his new beard because his old beard died and it preserves his political standing and, and avoids any type of, of sexual scandal. And this is where I'm just sitting there kind of throwing up my hands at the TV every week going, what is this? Like, where is this going? And then, of course, Oscar, who we revealed is gay. And I got to admit, that was a pretty good episode. They didn't really blow up Oscar at that point. Like, there was a moment where they could have blown him up and they kept it classy and they kept it where, you know, Oscar could go either way here and, and sue the company and instead, he goes away, which was pretty realistic. The company gave him a vacation, and, and it all worked. And I love that Michael still was stepping on you know, sexual innu- innuendo landmines with Oscar, and it was always a point of contention. That's not where Oscar was blown up. It was when Oscar became part of this kind of conspiracy against Angela, where he became sexually involved with Angela's husband, the senator, And then Angela was going to take out like they alluded to, or I can't even remember because by this point, my mind was just so giving up on this. But I remember the episode where she was going to take like a contract out to have uh, Oscar rubbed out or whacked or roughed up because of what was going on with his affair with the senator. Who thought this was good? Like this is where it just became such a mess that the show was just running on empty and it almost seems like the writers just came to the table and were drinking a bunch of beers or something and said, hey, how about we do this? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Let's do that. This is where by this point, folks, somebody should have invoked Seinfeld when Jerry Seinfeld knew no matter how much money they wanted to throw at him and the others to come back for another season, just end the show while you're on top. And one last thing on Andy, uh, we, we also then have to go from, okay, now he's no longer dating Angela. Pam has moved up in, in her career inside the office, inexplicably gets promoted through a paperwork glitch. And, and we're not even going with Gabe and all of that stuff, who were just these two-dimensional characters anyway that were just brought in because we needed new blood and the show was flagging. Uh, the other thing is, is with um, Andy is that by this time it was pretty clear they're they're grooming him to be Michael Scott Light is what it's going to be. And uh, they have to pair him up with Aaron. And Aaron was, uh, she seems to be the one character it seems that fans either, you know, they loved or they hated. Uh, the actress herself seems like a likable enough gal. But, but overall, the character I felt brought nothing. She was also way too young and pretty naive, almost to the point where I almost felt sometimes that Aaron was mentally incapacitated, that she was a little slow and that Andy almost had a predator kind of thing going with her. And then we have to have that Andy is, you know, of course, the acapella guy and he's going to start this uh, theatrical career with the Sweeney Todd episode, which was thoroughly obnoxious. And the whole thing, you know, they tried to recreate the Jim and Pam dynamic all over again with the will they or won't they? The only problem this time around is, is nobody cared. I could care less if Andy and Aaron hooked up. It was stupid. And then don't even get me started with what they did with Andy, with the introduction of Robert California and, and this whole thing with uh, Andy and Aaron, where uh, they, you know, the, the drive to Florida to retrieve and what a mess. I mean, this was not what the office was about and it was so far removed 
from the cool reality that they had established where we could plug in each week and almost see the show as a venting of our own frustrations with the abject stupidity that we work with every day. Now it just became a cast of clowns and who's hooking up with who and who's going to double deal who. And, and it was just, it was silliness. It just became obnoxious. And this was really exemplified with the introduction of Will Farrell toward the end uh, when Michael is about to leave. And he was just a placeholder. And really, I really feel that cynically, these writers and, and the producers of the show, they really didn't know what they were going to do. I really do feel that, that it's like, I don't know, what do we do? What do we got to do to keep this going? And, and a prime example of that was what they did with Creed. But Creed was kind of like Larry from the Three Stooges. And that is, he didn't say much, but boy, when he did, it was great. And even the whole thing of playing on Creed Bratton's real music history, that was a lot of fun. You know, Creed always worked best from the shadows. He's the manipulator. I, I kind of guess I like the idea that he was, you know, sleeping in the office. He was homeless. And, you know, he's the guy in town that gets the fake IDs for people. They did a really good job with making skeevy, weird Creed. Uh, he's alluded to the fact in the 60s and such that he was in cults. And he has one of the best lines out of the whole show about being a cult leader or follower and you know yeah it's more fun to be a follower but you make more money as a leader boy was that fantastic and and totally applicable to today with what we see around us however they made a mistake again they blew up creed and that is they tried to make creed a temporary manager and what an awful episode i mean there's no way this would be allowed it was it was almost in some ways worse than dwight firing a gun in the office and it just really showed there can be too much creed. These are the major characters that I felt they systematically destroyed as the series went on and, and definitely brought a degradation to the quality of the show. There is uh, another thing, just real quick, some of the smaller supporting characters. And one of them, again, uh, where the less is more really works is Todd Packer. Packer was great in extremely small, controlled doses. And in the first season, for example, just his opening on the phone, Todd Packer was a great character. When he popped in, he was a traveling salesman who seems to be Michael's best friend, but really is a user and doesn't really give a, a damn about Michael. He just uses him. And uh, he's a, a fun time guy and he's extremely obnoxious and, and quite frankly, is a walking lawsuit waiting to happen. And the way that Packer was portrayed when he showed up, you knew he was always going to bring something awful to the office. And uh, that was great. In the first several seasons, um, you, you saw him here and there, mostly by phone. For the best experience of Todd Packer, think of the carpet episode where Packer took a dump on, in Michael's office on the carpet. And you only hear him on the phone. And watch Dwight's reaction when it is revealed while Packer is laughing on the speakerphone, that it was Packer who crapped on the floor. Look at Rain Wilson's reaction of absolute disgust. It is terrific. But then they went ahead and they started giving Todd Packer far more airtime, especially after the episode called Todd Packer, when they hire him as an office employee. Holly goes ahead and brings him in. And from there, Todd Packer got way too much screen time. Uh, they tricked Todd. 
into going to Florida because, you know, he insulted Holly to Michael, which would never happen. And if it did happen, Todd is the kind of guy who would be suing. That's what would happen. And then he comes back in Florida and he tries to enact revenge, putting uh, laxatives in cupcakes, I believe it was, and the whole thing. What a cartoonish, buffoonish mess. There can be too much of a good thing. And after Steve Carell's departure from this show... The Office is a prime example of too much of a good thing and run into the ground. So to bring this episode to a close, let's talk about that final episode. You know, where the mural is revealed. Uh, We had a whole thing where the cameramen came out from behind the camera because the one obviously had a thing for Pam. And by this time, it's almost who cares. And the big question was, will Steve Carell return for the final episode? His career was blowing up. He's doing serious drama now. He's getting starring films on his own. He doesn't need The Office any longer, but will he return? So there was really, again, this whole will he, won't he kind of thing. So we get to this final episode where finally this whole series is going to debut. And again, it focuses on Andy. It focuses on Dwight and Angela's wedding. It focuses on Jim and Pam. But the one thing it doesn't focus on is Michael Gary Scott. That is who the whole center of this show was about. And he comes back. Yes, he comes back to be Dwight's best man, thanks to Jim. But what happened to Michael? Why is Michael suddenly so different? Why isn't it about Michael showing everybody? Don't you think it would have been a big reunion, especially to show to Pam that he he went out and he done good. Yes, they mentioned that he got another cell phone for all the pictures of his kids. But where's Holly? Why didn't she return? And, and why is it that, you know, we just get a brief oversight and at the wedding it's dominated with Ryan and Kelly running off. And we have all this nonsense once again about the office instead of what it truly was about. Look, even in that mural, Michael is at the center. We don't see Andy. We don't see Robert California. We don't see Will Farrell. And and remember, they killed Will Farrell too. He died, if you remember that. Again, off the rails. This should have been about Michael's journey and really a satisfying conclusion that he left as a great guy and he started out as an obnoxious mensch and he ends up this rehabilitated guy thanks to all those wonderful characters in the office. Instead, we've got, you know, the whole is is Angela carrying Dwight's baby kind of thing. What a mess this show became. And I feel that the blame falls totally on the producers and the writers. Because another thing to mention about this, if you go back and look at the credits, and that is a lot of nepotism. A lot of relatives of of the actors came on to write. The final episode doesn't even end with a thud. It just petered out into a whimper. And I truly no longer cared anymore. I was watching just to watch. It was filler. And so when I hear stories right now, I see Jenna Fisher's out on the market and uh, Angela Kinsey's out on the market. They're talking about this podcast that they have and, you know, a possible office reboot. My answer is a firm no. No one's asking for it. And if you didn't take a look at those final seasons, maybe you should. The Office is a shining example of cinema, C-Y-N-E-M-A, 
when the makers of something great suddenly realize it's just okay to run it into the ground and make mediocrity. That's my opinion. This is Harrison Smith. Thank you for listening. Looking forward to my next episode and have a great week. Head on over to iTunes and give me a like and review. And if you want to read my cinema blog, you'll find it at horrorfuel.com forward slash author forward slash Harrison.